Hello, I'm Sam, and welcome to the Learn and Experience Show, exploring and making sense of the world we live in through adventure, life skills, and language. Today, I'm joined by our two regular team members from Learn and Experience, the people bringing the world's youth together since 2009. We've got language guru, Mike. Hello. And our very own Miss Positive, Julie. Hi there. This episode will be visiting Australia, Spain, Japan, the ocean, Netherlands, and Canada in Around the World in Six Stories. And on the big discussion this week, we talked about the best and worst things about the places that you live. We'll be looking at the Republic of Ireland in Fact or Fiction. And in a youth spotlight this week, we look at the teenager who is dedicated to a campaign of body positivity. And on Life Skills this week, I spoke to an emergency services call handler who explained what will happen when you call the emergency services and what you can do to help them do their job. And in the language corner, we look at the game of Scrabble and its professional version. This is the Learn and Experience Show. Okay, Julie, where are we visiting this week? So, first off, we are going to Australia. So what happens inside of the brain of a baby zebrafish when you play MC Hammer's timeless 1990 classic hip hop track, You Can't Touch This? Why is this even a question? So as Australia's first female music producer and DJ, Rebecca Poulsen is a pioneer with scores of tracks, mixes and hundreds of gigs around the globe under her belt. But between DJ gigs and 20 years after leaving university for a music career, she is now studying neuroscience at Queensland's Brain Institute at the University of Queensland in Brisbane. So part of this involves gently securing baby zebrafish inside a chamber and then playing them sounds while scanning their brains with a laser and looking at what happens through a microscope. So out of professional curiosity, uh, professional and scientific curiosity, and presuming, presumably because she just could, she also played music to the fish. She could see specific neurons light up um, and seeing them pulse to the beat. So to her, it looked like neurons responding to different parts of the music. And so when Paulson published an early version of her research before it had been through peer review, she tagged MC Hammer on Twitter with a video of the fish brain lighting up to his song. Mm -hmm. And later that day, MC Hammer tweeted a link to Paulson's work in progress. Um, so yes. Zebrafish apparently like MC Hammer and if you're not aware some of our younger listeners of the amazing track you can't touch this I implore you to podcast uh, to pause this uh, show and just simply google this it will blow your mind great song <clears throat> to be fair who doesn't like MC Hammer I can't touch this I mean surely <laughs> I don't need a science degree to be tell telling anybody that <laughs> no, my neurons flash when I hear it absolutely when you think of Seville, which is a city in southern Spain, you might think of its warm weather uh, or its Arabic-influenced architecture or the fact that flamenco music comes from Seville. Uh, but you may not think of the 48,000 orange trees that permeate all of the corners of the city. And so the southern capital, Andalusia, which is Seville, produces the, the most amount of oranges uh, from anywhere, but the actual fruit that's in the streets, in the, in the trees on the streets, is too sour to be consumed as a fresh orange. But instead, 
Much of it is used to make marmalade and orange liqueur, but sadly, most of it ends up in the landfill, in the rubbish tip. However, that is gonna change soon, thanks to an ingenious idea, which is to use the oranges to produce electricity. The, uh, the program which is being sponsored by the city's council is gonna take loads and loads and loads and loads and loads of oranges, which will be left to ferment. And uh, ferment fermentation is a process I don't fully understand, but it's something to do with breaking down stuff into smaller pieces. And that's going to produce a gas, uh, which will then be captured and then and used to drive a generator, which will produce clean power. And it's re reckoned by 2023 that this could pr produce enough energy to power as many as 73,000 residences in Seville. Uh, Dotty and I are trying to think of a new energy source, and we're trying to uh, think of a you know new renewable energy because solar and 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 uh, wind and and hydroelectricity and all that kind of stuff it's doing a pretty good job but they still haven't quite got there yet so we're at the moment we're thinking of gravity and using gravity somehow and like having a, a ramp all around your house where there's a like a ball that kind of goes all the way around your house slowly during the day and as it's doing it's kind of um it's generating electricity but that's uh hey man sam your your ideas <laughs> Like I always take my hat off to you, and if you you can crack something with gravity, then I think uh, yeah, I'll be the first to 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 get on board with that. Mike, you do know all Sam's good ideas are actually Dotties. <laughs> <laughs> the truth is out. <laughs> okay, I am going to Japan where researchers have discovered two species of sea slugs that can grow a whole, a whole new body complete with heart and organs. So an individual creature was seen moving around without its body after cutting off its head. And one was even seen doing this twice. This process of dropping off a body part called autotomy is common in the animal kingdom. For example, lizards losing their tails uh, to escape predators is pretty common. However, the extreme form of it has never been seen before and was only spotted by chance while scientists observe the animals for other studies. So it's the first time that a hot, an animal has um, grown back a body with organs. And uh, imagine, imagine using that biology and that science for humans, potentially. Was the slug dying or was it, was the slug okay? It just did this. I don't, well, this is, it's all very new. So mm. I don't know if it was, uh, you know, deliberate, like something had happened. Um, but the fact that it grew back, not just the body, but actually all its organs as well. Uh, I've seen that. I've seen an octopus do that. I mean, not in real life, but I've seen it on, on film. Yeah, they grow their tentacles, right? Yeah. That's right. If they've been attacked by a predator like a shark, they can grow back the, their tentacles. So we are off to the ocean now, where scientists have discovered that three kinds of sharks that live in the deep ocean have an unusual ability. They can glow in the dark. 
So when a living thing gives off a glow, it's called bioluminescence. Watch for that in uh, the spelling bee. Um, bioluminescence is fairly common in the sea, but before this, no one knew that the kite fin shark, the black belly lantern shark, and the southern lantern shark were bioluminescent. The scientists say that the sharks seem to glow mainly on their lower bodies, and it's not clear exactly why. Still, the researchers have a couple of ideas. So all three of the sharks live deep in the ocean where it's fairly dark. So the scientists think that possibly the glow might help the sharks blend with the dim light coming from above. Another possibility, for the kite fin shark at least, is that it may use its glow to help find food on the sea floor. The kite fin shark is now the world's largest known glow-in-the-dark vertebrae, and it can grow up to nearly six feet. That's amazing. So kind of like a torch. That, that it yeah. emanates like it's sort of looking for food on the on the surface of the ocean and it has like a torch light yeah it's kind of like beam me up <laughs> beam me up scotty it's got this light coming down you know? you know more about the surface of the moon than the oceans wild absolutely wild we're gonna finish off in the netherlands this week where the inventor of the cassette tape a dutch engineer called lou ottens has died this week Age 94, uh, Lou Ottens was the man behind the, C the cassette tape uh, and also uh, was, a, was a heavily involved in the making of the CD as well. Um, at this point... For those who don't know... Sorry, at this point, Mike... Yes? Oh, I think you're going to do it, but I'll just... Bit of interruption. At this point, I think every listener who's listening at the moment is going... What is a cassette tape? Yeah. What is a cassette yeah. tape? Um, so a cassette tape is a an audio device used to play music, uh, which was came before the CD. So we used to listen to music on a on a tiny little thing, which was well, no bigger than a, a packet of uh, cards, packet of playing cards and would fit inside a device called a Walkman. And a Walkman, you'd play and you'd go around listening to it a bit like an iPod, but not as good. Or a bit like an iPhone. <laughs> Hold on. Some people might even not know what a CD is. No, they know what a CD is. <laughs> a cassette is, is, is what we listened to on this podcast when we were younger. Uh, and... I think it's fair to say that we all enjoyed making mixtapes, right? We'd make uh, tapes, we'd make, we'd make, we'd make these mixtapes of various songs and then send it to our friends and it was wicked. Yeah. All the copyright that, issues. That a real trick because a lot of it was a bit naughty. You'd record it from the radio. Oh yeah. So they would go, um, number 20 in the charts. <laughs> It's <laughs> <laughs> Copyright just was out the window. There was no, yeah, there was nobody bothered about that. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to Canada. A nice story here. This is the story of a boy detective who found a cat that was missing for 74 days and he actually earned the $1,000 reward. So thanks to the hard work of the boy from Ontario, a family will be a little warmer this winter with the return of their furry friend. Braden Benzak, who's nine years old, earned himself a thousand dollar reward after finding the cat 
that's been missing for 74 days. And he'll be using that reward money to buy himself something he's been wanting for a long time. So the 13-year-old cat called Hunter went missing in, in the autumn. Uh, and Gina Henderson, the owner, was devastated, especially because she relied on the company during these really tough months of the pandemic. Um, she got to work putting up tons of posters of a cat around the neighborhood. And one of the posters was spotted by Braden, who took it upon himself to do some detective work. So he kept his eye out for the cat, searching for Hunter during his lunch breaks and after school. Uh, after months had gone by, he didn't lose hope and kept on the search and finally spotted Hunter and could tell it was him by the photograph on the posters. So he tried picking it up, uh, and when he when he did finally find found it, um, the cat was a little bit reluctant to go with him, but he quickly went to the owners and told them where they'd found it, and uh, and then they were reunited. So the perseverance of this little boy and his willingness to to do a good deed uh, eventually was rewarded with the cash prize, which I never know if, it, if people normally get those cash rewards, uh, but I think this little boy did deserve it. I was going to say, Julie, I don't you think he avoided a catastrophe? I was going to say the hunter became the hunted. <laughs> oh, the yours was better. Um, we should follow up with, what was his name? Braden. Braden. We should follow up with Braden and see if he actually did get that cash prize. Let's make sure he uh, he, he got he got his winnings. Yeah. Okay, that was around the world in six stories. So on the big discussion this week, we talked about the best and worst thing about the places that you live. So Mike, I believe you live in London. What is the best thing about living in London? The best thing about living in London, Julie has to be that you can do pretty much what you want to do in terms of cultural activity. So if you're interested in a Bulgarian folk choir or a uh, frisbee club or a swing dancing club or a juggling club, you're going to find it in London. Um, so I think that's the best thing about London is the diversity of culture. The worst thing of living in London is the traffic and especially the people who honk their horns at cyclists when you're just trying to get home at night and you get honked. So that's the worst thing. <laughs> and Sam, um, currently living, you lucky thing in Vancouver. What yeah. is the what are the best and worst things about living in Vancouver? So the best things are Vancouver itself is 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 a lovely city, but we're really close to all the mountains and and the ocean. So we have beaches and we have um, mountains within, you know, ten minutes, fifteen minutes, all around us. So you have all the benefits of a city, but within access to the outdoors. I'd say that that's probably the best thing. Uh, the worst thing is probably the opposite of Mike. I would say Vancouver being quite away from. Uh, a lot of other places is is lacking a little bit in culture so some of the things that you can do in London for example 
um, all the big theatre productions and plays and um, interesting clubs and stuff that you just take for granted, maybe in the UK in general, as well as London, uh, just aren't, you know, it's not as established, you know, it's a young, it's a young country, it's a young city, really. Europe, Europe's had thousands of, well, hundreds of years to, to de develop this and the infrastructure, but no, it's, it's a little thing really, but, and, and the worst thing about living in Canada is missing my family. That's probably the worst thing. I'm going to try and answer these questions as a Scottish person without talking about the weather. I'll try really hard. Um, so I currently live in central Scotland in a place called Falkirk. And I think I used to live in Edinburgh and we lived in Portobello, which was really near the ocean. And I really missed that. I'd never had it before until I lived in Edinburgh. Uh, we were just 200 meters from the ocean. I kind of missed that being quite far away from that. And even though Scotland's quite a small place, it doesn't really take me long to get to the ocean. But after being that close, it's something that I do miss. Um, but I guess the best thing is that, you know, Scotland is quite small and Falkirk is really well placed to get to um, Glasgow, Edinburgh, um, to where my parents live. Um, I think it's kind of equidistant, um, equidistant being the same distance to. Is that the correct right, use yeah. of the word equidistant? equidistant? Yeah. Oh, it's going to be in the spelling bee. Um, so, so yes, that, that's probably it for me. It's it, Falkirk is just in the right slap bang in the middle, easy to get to east, west and, and to where my parents live. So, so yeah, so now we will we'll pass over to our young people who tell us about the best things and worst things about where they live. I'm around Paris. I'm not in Paris, really. So that's quite good. Because in Paris, there's a lot of cars and buses every time. Um, I don't, maybe the weather, because I'm not really used to cold weather, because in Morocco, it was just hot. Even in winter, it was not that cold. Um, and the good thing is that, well, where I live, we've got just, we're, I'm in Versailles, so we've just got the... In the palace. We just got oh. the palace next to us, so basically we just oh. if we want to go out, we just go in the palace. You I never went to Versailles. Live in the palace. No. No. I would like to now. He lives in a palace. <laughs> well, That's how you say one it. of the worst things is that there's a lot of pollution. So when you come back from the countryside, you're like, it's kind of hard to breathe sometimes, because it's really the air is really polluted and stuff. And the best thing is that you can just walk outside and then you got everything in front of you. Like you got you got a shop for food, you got a shop for you got a bus station, you got a shop for for if you want to, to do to do paintings, you have a shop if you want to to, to buy plants, everything. It's everything. You just walk out of the door. Fact or fiction, we are visiting the lovely country of the Republic of Ireland. Sorry, were you born there, Mike? <laughs> I wasn't born there. I was uh, born in the Berlin. Oh, uh, but uh, I do have Irish nationality. <laughs> of course. This is a setup. This is, can, can we can do something that's vaguely related to me at some point? I'm pretty sure you also had Madagascan nationality, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't choose. He's had one of those charts back where you send like your blood or a bit of your hair and they're like, a bit of this, bit of that, bit of this. 
More Irish people live abroad than in Ireland. I'm going to say fact because when I was traveling in Australia, every second person that I met was Irish. There was a lot of Irish people when I was out in Australia. It might have been the circles that I was traveling in, but yes, there was a lot of people there at that point um, due to the um, fun, uh, the, 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 the downturn of the economy at that point. So I'm going to say fact. I'm going to join you on that one, Julie, as an exiled Irishman. <laughs> <laughs> you are both correct. So, in fact, some 70 to 80 million people worldwide claim Irish ancestry, but it's hard to estimate the exact numbers compared to the population of Ireland, which is the actual country, which is about four and a half million people. Over 50% of people in Ireland have natural red hair. That seems a little high to me. Um, that seems a little high, but as a natural uh, Irishman myself, I do have the odd red hair and it's creeping in even more. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm going to go with fact because I think it might just be one of those strange things that's fact. That is definitely fiction. 100%. I've been to Ireland a good number of times and rarely did I see a redhead. So I'm going to say fiction. Only 9% of people in Ireland have natural Ooh. red hair. Irish people are commonly associated with having red hair, very light skin and freckles, but that's actually just a stereotype. Um, so uh, while the average percentage of people with natural red hair is higher in Ireland, um, it's still only 9%. Polish is the second most spoken language in the Republic of Ireland. I would say that could possibly be true. Um, I, my grandfather was Polish, actually, and there's certainly a lot of Polish people in Scotland and, and England. So I am going to say that is fact. I think there's more Spaniards than Poles in, in Ireland. Julie has taken... 3-1 lead. Dude is on fire. Mm. Yeah. So uh, Irish is spoken, so the, there is a natural language of Irish and that's only spoken by 2% of the population while Polish is being spoken at home by more than 119,000 people in, uh, in Ireland, in the Republic of Ireland. Dobrze, dobrze. Grand. St. Patrick is the, is the patron saint of Ireland, but he was, in fact, not Irish. Well, in lockdown, I read a folktale about the origins of St. Patrick. But I did a lot of things in lockdown, which I've since forgotten about. And I can't remember whether or not St. Patrick was originally English or Irish. Um, but there's just... I'm going to go with fiction because I think he was actually English. No, so you, so you say fact then? Oh, fact, sorry. Yeah, I don't think he was Irish. I have absolutely no idea. So for want of a game, a good game, I will go fiction. Um, yeah, fiction. Uh, you're right, Mike. 
He was in fact born probably in what we call now modern day Wales. Mm. So he was St. Patrick was kidnapped English. by pirates and brought to Ireland. He was sold into slavery and was there for six years before he heard a voice saying that he was supposed to return home. So we're going into the final fact or fiction. Three, two. So this is your chance to level Mike. Uh, and we're going to go, we're going to, I don't know who it is, whose go it is, but I think Judy should go first. My go. Otherwise, if Mike goes for, for tactics, Judy would just say the same and win whatever. Oh, I hadn't realised that. Thanks for <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Ireland, the Republic of Ireland, have won the most Eurovision Song Contests. No, they haven't. Have they? No. No, I think that's... I can't actually remember any winners apart from Did Lulu win? Um, I, I think that's wild. I think that's wildly incorrect. I'm going to say fiction. I mean, I'm also going to say fiction. They've definitely won more than the UK, which is not hard because the UK always gets no point. No point. But they can't have got more than the Russian states, which always win because they vote for each other. So I'm going to say that it is fiction. Although if you want to win... Well, yeah, I'll go with fact then, just because <laughs> I really do, because I'm so competitive, I do want to win. I do. <laughs> I'll admit it. I am very competitive. So still. would I. Yeah. Oh. yeah, me too. Well, I don't know if I like this result, because by default, Mike, you've now drawn, because it's <gasps> in fact a fact. Is it really? Yeah. It's How many the only nation to have won the Eurovision... <laughs> easy for me to say. The Eurovision Song Contest seven times. Give me some of the times in the last year, decade. Uh, it's the only nation to have won it three times in a row. Uh, Neve Kavanagh was uh, was one of the most famous Irish winners. In your eyes, I didn't fact check this. Uh huh. <laughs> Let's have a look. Yeah, Ireland have won it seven times: 1970, 1980, 1987, 1992, 92, 94, and 1996. Wild. And Sweden, the second uh, in sixth with six wins, and the UK, along with France, Luxembourg, and the Netherlands, are in third place with five wins. So okay. I didn't win. Is that what you're telling me? That was a draw. I, I'm loath to give it to Mike because he only gave. He, he didn't. He didn't. He did a draw. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm loath to give it a draw, even. Like I think you should win. Oh that. well, don't then. Thank you. I'll take that win. But but you did give it. You gave it to him. So no, it's a draw this week. Mm. Gail will be happy. On the you spotlight this week, Julia Bloom is very much a typical teenage girl she hangs out with friends she enjoys dancing and she likes to read teen magazines like 17 but she was more affected by some of her friends in what she, she saw in the pages of these teen magazines she recognized that the girls shown in a lot of the magazines were not the friends were not like the, the people that she saw at school but instead they are all photoshopped and adapted to make themselves look thinner and prettier. Julia decided to do something about this. So what she did 
she started by she started a petition and a petition that she showed to the editors of some of these magazines, one of them in particular called 17 magazine. And after collecting nearly 50,000 signatures, uh, the magazine agreed that they would no longer retouch up photographs and also promised to have more representation in terms of body image. So well done, Julia, I say. Okay, so I spoke to Kerry, who is currently studying to become an ambulance technician after being an emergency services call handler for two years. This was a really, really um, fascinating insight into what happens um, when you call the emergency services, among other things. So we talked about lots of things. Um, but I think the most useful thing for our listeners is maybe things to remember and, and some top tips. So the first thing is the emergency services can talk you through just about anything. So you've just got to really trust in them and most importantly, listen to what they're saying when you phone. Uh, another top tip from Kerry was to stay calm and always listen really well to the questions that they're asking you. Um, when you first phone, they might be asking you questions that you maybe don't think are as important, but they're asking these questions in a very specific order to decide um, the best thing to do to help the person that you're calling for. Uh, another thing is speak really slowly uh, and clearly as you can. Um, any accent can be difficult for whomever, um, the, you know, wh whichever call handler you get. So, um, you know, I live in Scotland, so maybe I phone the emergency services in Scotland, um, but I might get put through to another part um, of the UK, depending on how busy, you know, the service is. So just, yeah, speak really slowly and as clearly as you can. Um, one of the first things that they're going to ask you is your telephone number, and this is in case you get cut off. Um, so it'd be really useful if you, um, if you know your number off by heart, then that would be great. If you're using somebody else's phone, you can obviously maybe get them to shout out the number. Another super important thing, and the next thing that they're going to ask you is um, where you are um, geographically. So if you um, maybe do know where you are, you look up and see a street sign. Remember to give um, more information than that because street names are used multiple times in multiple cities and multiple countries. The best thing to do is to give a postcode. However, I've got an, um, a really cool thing that I'll tell you about in a, in a second that Kerry told me about. It's this new app that can help you with this. Um, so lastly, um, what they're going to do, um, the call handlers will ask you a series of, of questions and give you advice on what to do next. Um, and they make the decisions based on what you're, what you're saying. And so basically don't worry, they'll send an ambulance depending on um, the, the kind of gravity of the situation. So yeah, just a little bit about the, the, the skills that Kerry told me that she thought were really important um, skills to have as a call handler. So obviously excellent communication skills. Um, problem solving skills. Um, she's got to be also be really, really patient and be able to multitask. You know, she she'll be listening to the person speak, but she'll also be working through a really intricate computer system and deciding at which point, you know, to send an ambulance. Um, so she personally has talked hundreds of people through a variety of situations. And one of the coolest things is that she's delivered five babies hmm. in the two years that she's worked there. 
And apparently if you um, if you deliver a baby on over the phone, you get a little badge and it's a little stork and you get to wear that. So she's got five of these. Mm. Um, interestingly, um, if you are in the UK, you'll know the number uh, for the emergency services is 999. However, if you accidentally uh, watch too many American TV shows and dial the number 911, which is the American emergency service number, you will actually still get through to the UK emergency services. However, if you're in America and you do the reverse of that, so you dial, for instance, the, the, the UK number, which is 999, it's not going to get you anywhere. So you do have to know the number in, the, in America. Um, there's also Europe, European emergency services number, which is 112. So anywhere in Europe, you can call that. You can get through to the emergency services. Being that we have Brexit, I'm not sure if that number will still be applicable in the UK, but um, I'm sure you can, you can find that out. The last thing is this really cool app. So this literally is just life-saving. Um, this app divides the world into 57 trillion three by three meter squares. And if you come across an emergency and you dial the emergency services, you tell the call handler, whomever you speak to, I have what three words location and then read it out. And what that will do they can type in the three words that you give to them from this app and they will literally be able to triangulate your position uh, into a three meter by three meter square. They'll know exactly where you are. And Kerry said that this is quite a new app. Uh, it's available worldwide. So everywhere in the world has got one of these little one, you know, three numbers to describe where it is. So um, a really great way um, to pinpoint your location if you are going to phone the emergency services. So I would really recommend What's downloading that. Yeah, the app's called, well, I, I said it there, it was a bit confusing on what I said, but the app is literally called What Three Words. Okay. So I would implore anybody that's listening yeah, to download that. Yeah, it's really good. So um, just, yeah, just lastly, kind of th thank you so much to, to Carrie. Um, uh, she's currently studying, as I said, to become an ambulance technician uh, and is working really hard to get through those exams. So it was very kind of her to give up some of her time to, to speak to me. I could have spoken to her for ages, it was all super interesting uh, and really uh, hopefully some useful tips for our listeners too. Really cool. I mean, the amount of like 99 out of 100 calls would be very stressful situations, weren't they, for every, everyone calling. So to be able to deal with that is, uh, is a real skill. Mm. Yeah, I think she said... Um, it, I guess it's kind of like anything. Um, it's kind of like, I guess, any job you do just kind of get into the, the it, it, it's a job and maybe maybe for self-preservation, have to numb yourself to a lot of yeah. the, the things that you're hearing. But she did say it, it is a highly stressful, uh, a highly stressful job. So, you know, um, we I think we think we praise a lot of doctors and nurses and, and you know, the NHS and, and across the world, any doctors or nurses, but, you know, these people that are taking these calls, um, super important and highly skilled. On the Language Corner this week, we're looking at the weird world of professional Scrabble. Uh, many of you may know what Scrabble is, but for those who don't, Scrabble is a game uh, in which you can play with two to four people and you have a board which has squares on it and, and a large number of letters. Uh, each player has seven of these little letters which are on small tiles and they have to make words uh, uh, and, uh, and you get points for how many words you make. Um, but did you know that there is a professional version of the game? 
There's a World English Scrabble Players Association called WESPA um, and several competitions. And they're quite lucrative. In the winner of a national Scrabble championship takes home $10,000 and possibly ends up on TV morning shows. The world number one Scrabble player is a Malaysian called Ganesh Asirvatham. And many uh, countries take Scrabble very seriously, but none more so than in Africa. In Kenya, the country uh, recognizes Scrabble as an official sport. Um, and Kenya player Jared Omolo says, uh, recommends three tips to becoming a pro. He says, you should know uh, two to three letter legal words, as many as you can. Uh, and then he also says that if you know the board, like where the triples and the bonuses are, you're going to be very good at it. And he also says that you should stick to tiles that you know have good combinations. So words like words that end in R-E-S, like vampires uh, or explores. These are good words. And also words that end in R-E-T, like secret or cauliflowerette. One of the highest scoring Scrabble words is the word sutskuljumukshi, which means a bacterium carried by mites. So there you go, professional Scrabblers, that is a sport. Say that word again. Tsukshugjumukshi. Um, <laughs> that's not how you said it last time that's not how you said no. it last time <laughs> spelling me <laughs> the spelling bee this week's spelling bee um, we have a few words from different stories from this week and the first word is from Julie's story about the sharks Luminescent. Oof. Luminescent. Julie. Not not bioluminescent. Why not just stick on the bio? <laughs> can do if you want. Okay. <laughs> Why don't we do the film? Luminescent. Emitted bio... light not caused by heat. B-I-O-L-U-M-E-N-E-C-E-N-T. Bioluminescent. Why don't you put an E there? You've put an E there when there should be an I. I'm going to go with L U M I N E S C E N T. Oh, you've added an S in there as well. Really? E S C N T. Yeah, I did E C E N T. Huh. Scent. I feel that this is a genuine uh, shout out to our language guru here. Well done, Mike. That's correct. Yeah. Um, he missed out the B I O at the start. <laughs> Good work, Mike. Yeah, I was impressed with the S S C adding Me in too. that. I mean, I had it written as well. I don't know how I got that wrong. I'm really joking. <laughs> <laughs> okay, equidistant. So you were talking about Falkirk being equidistant between Fol uh, Glasgow and Edinburgh. Can you spell it? No. <laughs> This is 100% this is not the correct spelling. Equidistant. Or do you say equidistant or equidistant? I say equidistant. 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 Okay, equidistant. 
E-Q-U-I-D-I-S-T-A-N-T. Equidistant. Yeah, no quibbles with that. I think you surprised yourself, Julie. Well done. <gasps> Correct. Just spell it phonetically. <laughs> okay, Perfect. and the final one. This is a tricky one. Um, but this is on the on the Scrabble theme. Bananarama. Uh, so the longest uh, the longest Scrabble word is a, that's ever been recorded. Uh, sorry, the highest point scoring word in Scrabble that's been recorded. Kaziks. Kaziks, which is the plural word for a type of bird, an oriole, which is a type of bird. That's the plural, so it's a kaziks of orioles. Kaziks. If anyone can get close. I'm just going to go. I'm going to give you one letter out. I'll go phonetically. Kaziks. Now, because it's a high high points, I'm going to whack two Zs in there. <laughs> start with one, though. What? <laughs> There's already one. I'm going to put another one. Kaziks. This is this would spell Kazex, but hey ho. K A Z Z E C K S. Kaziks. E what? Huh? Say that again. K A A Z Z E C K S. Kaziks. Okay. No idea, but I think if it's a high scoring word, it might have a Y in. So I'm going to go K A Z E K. Z E K Y S. Wild. Kazikis. Kazikis. Kazakis. Kazakis. Yeah, you're both pretty wrong. <laughs> it is, in fact, spelt C. C A Z I Q U E S. Of course it is. Yeah. Wow. And that scored 392 points. Anybody wow. who's listening out there, you keep that word in your head because that would win you Scrabble, that, that would. Presumably was a triple point. Quadruple yeah. point yeah. double on the, score. On the or something. Yeah. Okay, that's it for this week. Thank you very much. Goodbye, Julie. Goodbye, Mike. Goodbye, Sam. Goodbye, everybody. We hope you enjoyed the show. That was the Learn and Experience Show, exploring and making sense of the world we live in through adventure, life skills, and language. You can follow us on our Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter accounts, or you can see more of what we do on our website, learnandexperience.com. Bye.